No one ever listens to me. Well, I don't need to listen to people. Their actions tell me everything I need to know. What is the point of speaking if you're not listening to me? I am listening. Go ahead. Stephen Covey said, Most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Welcome to the Vanessa Londino podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Londino. I hope you enjoyed your last couple of weeks. It's good to be back together with you here in the States. We had a holiday, so last week we were off, but it's good to be back. So a couple of months ago, I got a show recommendation in my inbox. And if you want to connect with me about the podcast, the email address is thepodcast at vanessalondino.com. And it was from a listener in Colorado, and she wrote this. I've read a thousand times to listen actively instead of with the intent to respond. That has always, always been a struggle for me, and I've had so much shame around it, like I just needed to hear myself talk or were super selfish or narcissistic. Some of all of that's probably true, but I realized something huge today. I've always been comfortable reading because that was listening under control. I could put a book down and pick it up when I wanted to, when I was safe. I could choose the words that came in. I knew they were okay for me. Growing up, Listening was being stabbed or dying or being vaporized by others' words. My only shield was wise words or some kind of response to stop the onslaught. Listening had literally been threatening and has been difficult to do even now. Others' words were not a gift of thoughts or connection, but a demand or threat. I wonder if that's why podcasts had been hard for me previously. However, saying that out loud introduces the possibility of a shift. I would love to listen all the way to its beautiful finale. Now I can learn to experience listening as a beautiful gift and I can create my own safety if the words are not loving and connect with people whose words are safe and rich with nutrition, end quote. My goodness, we could just say that. Thank you for listening. See you next week. (laughs) It's beautiful, isn't it? So much in these words, so much wisdom, so much self-awareness, so much humility, so much self-knowledge. So we're going to unpack this today. Thank you, Anne-Marie, for this awesome idea. So today, folks, we're talking about listening. Okay, let's dive in. The definition. You know, I like to start with definitions. Why? Because they give us a point of reference. Sometimes it's very hard to integrate information if we don't know exactly what we're talking about. So I always find that it's useful to define things. What does this word mean? Here's what it means. It's very simple. It means to give one's attention to a sound. That's all that it means. That's what listening is, to give your attention to a sound. And that sound could be music. That sound could be a dog barking. That sound could be certainly another person speaking, okay? But that's what it means. It means to give your attention, the attention of your mind to a sound. So let's break that down a little bit. To give. What does that mean? That means that listening is a gift. It's a choice. It's an offering. It's something you get to give. You possess your attention. You possess your ears, You possess your ability to hear if indeed you have the ability to hear. You possess that. When you listen, you choose to give it to someone else, okay? Now, it means to give one's attention. Let's talk about attention. Attention belongs to you. It's the attention of your mind. It means what you're attuned to. It's where you're focusing your brain. It is yours to give. It is yours to withhold. It's literally what you focus your mind on, okay? And then sound, to give one's attention to a sound. Sounds can be pleasurable. 
They can be offensive. They can be loud, soft. They can be gentle or harsh. They can be melodious. One of my favorite sounds in life is the sound of spoken Italian. I took Italian lessons for a while so I could make those sounds. It's just gorgeous to me. Uh, Sounds can be melodious like music. Some music is very melodious, um, harmonic music, uh, music that is pleasing to your ear. And then some music, again, this is totally subjective, but I find certain types of jazz just chaotic. I don't find them melodious at all. Okay. Sounds can be cacophonous. And what do we mean by that? It means it's just chaotic and loud, like the sounds of traffic in New York City, you know, cars honking, people screaming out the window, get out of here. You know, there's just cacophony. It's loud. It's chaotic. And we usually refer to those types of sounds as noise, right? Noise is a sound we're listening to that's unpleasant. So again, to give one's attention to a sound, right? Now, let's talk about attention. Let's talk about the quality of our attention, because the quality of our attention to someone is actually what we're talking about when we say that we are a poor or a skilled or a good listener. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. It's important. The quality of our attention is what makes us a good listener or a poor listener. So we could be distracted. And what does that mean? It means there are other sounds, internal or external, that are vying for our attention. Whenever we're distracted, something's competing for our attention. Now, for me, for example, I get very distracted in loud restaurants. I have a very hard time tuning out sound, especially if there's music playing. I can't even form a sentence. And poor Jared, he knows this. But if he's trying to talk to me about something important in a loud restaurant, he usually has to go, babe, hello, because the sounds around me, are I can't tune them out. It's kind of the way my brain is wired. I can't tune them out, especially if there's music playing that I can hear. So listening in loud restaurants is hard for me. Speaking in loud restaurants is hard for me because I can't formulate words in my mind as cleanly as I can in silence. I cannot listen to 99.9% of music while I'm reading. I envy people who can do this. You know people who can do this. They're sitting in loud restaurants and they're reading like Faulkner. You know, I'm like, how are you processing anything? Are you just staring at the words like I would be doing? No, I don't think they are. Some people can read and focus in really loud places and I can't because I can't stop listening to the sound. So that's distraction. Okay. And there's a million examples of distraction, but that's one. The quality of our attention could be divided. What does that mean? It means that there's conflicting motives. There's conflicting needs around us. And this is a little bit different than distracted. Distracted means like there's something competing for our attention. It's pulling us away. Divided means two worthy causes are vying for our attention. We want to be, to be listening. We want to be heard. We want to be engaged. But there's something else inside of us that's telling us this is also important. Okay, so distraction is usually something that's not as important as competing with what we're trying to listen to. When we're divided, it's two things that are very important are competing for what we're listening to. So we may be having trouble hearing because there's a voice inside of us that's saying you have to pay attention to this too, though. We also could feel divided if we're hearing what someone is saying, but we're having trouble trusting what we're hearing. So we're hearing it, but there's a voice inside of us going, don't, don't trust that. That's that self-protective voice inside that's vying for our attention. And so what does that do? Well, it makes it difficult for their words or their meaning to be fully absorbed because there's an internal feeling of distrust that's weakening our ability to totally absorb what they're saying. Okay, we can be divided if something or someone else who rightly deserves our attention is asking for it at the same moment that someone else is asking for us to listen to them. 
So maybe we're trying to listen to our spouse and we can hear the kids in the other room and they're playing and it's getting a little rough and we're thinking, oh boy, this is going to become a conflict. Okay, that's divided. Like, okay, I'm divided right now. I'm trying to listen to what you're saying, but I can hear the kids in the other room and this is about to explode. Okay, that's that's being divided. So differences in the quality of our attention. We can be distracted. We can be divided. We're listening to two things at once and this can be exhausting. We can be focused. Okay, that could be another quality of our attention. That means typically nothing's competing for our attention, either because there's literally nothing else competing for our attention or because we've chosen an area of focus. Okay, internally, there can be a sense of peace and quietness within us so that we can listen without a whole lot of internal noise. So distractions can be external, but they can also be internal right? We're worried. We're anxious. We've got too much on our mind. Our bandwidth is too small for the conversation. When we're focused, there's nothing competing for our attention that we're giving any credit to either externally or internally. When we're really focused, we're consciously breathing while we listen. Okay, I'm going to unpack a lot of this today. We're kind of just running through it right now. This is the best kind of listening we can offer is when we're breathing, we're absorbing, we're listening, we're taking it in, okay? And then there's absorbed. And this is sort of hyper-focus. Nothing is competing. Nothing even can compete. Now, when we're absorbed, our full attention is on one thing that is totally captivating us. And that can be pleasurable, like a movie or a great story or a concert. You know how it is when time just flies by and you look at your watch and you're like, oh my gosh, we're two hours into this movie because you're just absorbed. You're so un compromisingly focused on whatever's going on in front of you can also be unpleasant, like hearing a tragedy, getting bad news, or witnessing a terrible scene. You know, you just time stands still and your jaw drops and your eyes open up real wide. Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. That's also absorption, right? Typically in those moments, we can't see or hear anything outside of the moment. So Our attention has these qualities to it. It can be distracted, divided, focused, or absorbed. And it could probably be more than that. But for today, we'll look at those four qualities, okay? Now, I want you to focus on something that Anne-Marie wrote. She wrote, I've read a thousand times to listen actively instead of with the intent to respond. That has always, always been a struggle for me. And I've had so much shame around it, like I just needed to hear myself talk or was super selfish or narcissistic. So what we're seeing here is this call to what I would call good behavior. You should be a good listener. You should be able to listen without getting distracted. You should be able to listen without losing your focus. Friends, that is completely unrealistic, isn't it? First of all, listening is a skill. And in order to practice something to the point where it becomes a skill, you have to, I just said it, practice it. Listening, yes, it's, it's like an art form, but it's also at the very end of the day, a skill. And if we don't give ourselves time to practice that skill, we don't get any good at it. And then we shame ourselves. And that's not the only reason we have struggles with listening. And I'm going to get into a lot of that today. But this is such an important sentence. Because there's a call to good behavior without talking about two things. Number one, why it's good behavior Number two, why we're struggling with it. Look, the behavior is the goal, right? Be a good listener, be a good person, be kind, be this, be that. That's the goal. 
But we don't talk about enough unless you're in a therapy room, right? But in daily life, we don't talk about why these behaviors are difficult for us. And so what do we assume? Well, if I can't get there and I can't do this, I must be morally flawed or weak. Look at the language. I've had so much shame around it. Like I just needed to hear myself talk or was super selfish or narcissistic. This is where we go. We blame ourselves because we can't live up to perfect expectations. We've all done this. Now, here's what I love about the way this topic was presented to me. Anne-Marie validated herself. And you caught that in the opening quote when I read the whole thing. And I'm going to unpack this quote throughout the podcast so you'll hear it again. But she gives herself a lot of validation. There's a reason listening is hard for me. There's a family of origin presentation here that's very important. Words were used to hurt or harm. That is why listening became difficult for me. And then what we see in the way she presented this was the human choice to grow and move forward while holding the past in a place of respect and honor. So I'm going to talk about two things during this podcast. I am going to discuss listening, what it is, how to do it well, what makes it difficult for us. But I'm also really going to highlight Anne-Marie's process because her process in this email is almost more important than the goal. The goal is how do I be a good listener? I want to be a good listener, but the process is everything. She's paying attention to her past. She's asking herself the right questions. Why is this hard for me? Because I've been telling myself, maybe I'm just a bad person. I'm selfish, super selfish, she wrote, narcissistic. Maybe I've been telling myself that. Maybe it's not that at all. Maybe I don't need to shame myself. Maybe there's a deeper thing going on, and indeed there is. Friends, we don't have to live according to the past. We don't have to let it define us, but we need to understand it if we are going to have any depth or compassion whatsoever. If we're going to have any wisdom whatsoever about who we are, we have to understand our lives, our past. We have to understand the story, the arc, how we got here. People who don't understand the wounds of their past put entirely too much pressure on themselves in the present. If I could put that on a bumper sticker, would you buy it? I mean, this is so important. People who don't understand the wounds of their past put too much pressure on themselves in the present. I'm not saying to be complacent. I'm not. I've got high standards for myself. Anybody who knows that about me knows that. It's okay to live with high standards. It's okay to want to live an optimum life and get the most out of life and be as healthy and as strong and as successful and as glorious as you are. I want that for you. I want that for me. But when we put pressure on ourselves and we don't understand our past, what we are working from is shame. It's shame. You cannot wake up tomorrow and, quote, be your best self and, quote, live your best life. I'm so sick of these bumper sticker slogans. I really am. Your best self is a self that's integrated. It's a self that knows who you are and loves yourself. When you are growing from a place of self-compassion and self-love, you want to be your best because you love yourself. When you are trying to change yourself from a place of shame, I'm not good enough, I have to be perfect, you're going to dangle a carrot in front of your nose that you will never bite. This process that she's walking us through is the process. We give ourselves this unforgiving kind of pressure to be perfect. And the ironic thing that happens, the irony of this is we stay in the unhealthy patterns we're in. Knowing the why of why we do what we do, 
Why do I have this character flaw? Where did I develop this? And I'm going to say a lot more about this today, but why did I develop this? What was I surviving? What coping mechanism is this connected to? It's not an excuse. I'm not talking about making excuses for behavior. And I see this a lot right now. Oh, well, you know, I can't be required. I can't be asked to do such and such because I have this mental health diagnosis. Or I can't be asked to do such and such because I have a history of trauma. I'll tell you right now, the people that talk in those kinds of words are largely, and I hate to say this, it sounds like a judgment and maybe it is, but in my observation, it has been this. That more is kind of a manipulation than a legitimate reason why something is difficult. I find that people who talk on and on and on and on and on about their own trauma, there's something more manipulative about that. The people that I have met and worked with who are truly deeply traumatized typically don't even want to admit it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I'll say more about this maybe in another podcast, but there's a victim status that goes on. Oh, well, I can't do this because of such and such. I'm not talking about thinking that way. Well, I can't be responsible for being a good listener because I had a crappy childhood. No, you maybe had a crappy childhood, but you're also responsible for being a decently relatable adult, right? Unless there's something severely wrong with us, we can hold ourselves to that standard. So this isn't about making excuses. It's about knowing yourself. Self-knowledge forms the basis for self-compassion. There's a reason I do such and such. There's a reason I have this habit or this pattern. It has served me in this way or that way. And now I can see it and I can let it go. Whether it's not being able to listen well or overeating or overdrinking or oversexing or lying, whatever your character flaw is, or being arrogant, being holier than thou, being a people pleaser, being manipulative. We, folks, we've, all ki- we've got all kinds of character flaws. I don't know what to tell you. We're human. It is what it is. No one's marching along, you know, just sinless. <laughs> no one's doing that. We have character flaws. Understanding them doesn't mean we're excusing them. It means we're seeing ourselves in the context of our humanity. And maybe we're able to say, you know, it served me then, but it doesn't serve me now. Okay, so without that self-knowledge, we have a lot of shame. Without self-knowledge, we move into self-degrading. And you can hear that in Anne-Marie's assumptions about herself that thankfully she's moved out of. Am I super selfish? Am I narcissistic? Do I just need to hear myself talk? And what's real healthy about her process is that she's thinking to herself, no, I don't. That's not me. So what is it? Okay, so the internal dialogue when we're in that place of shame goes something like this. Be this good thing, whatever it is, in this case, good listener, or be healthy, or be selfless, whatever it is, or else you're a bad person, right? This is the voice of shame. Be this, and if you can't be this, then you're a bad person. Be on time or else you're lazy. Be serving or else you're selfish. Be productive or else you're useless. See the shame? Be perfect or else you're bad. So what Anne-Marie is modeling for us here is wonderful. Number one, she owns her weakness. I see that I'm not being the listener I want to be. She's owning that she struggles with it. And then we seek to understand the behavior through the context and the lens of relationship, not moral judgment. And this is really important. Understanding ourselves through the context and the lens of relationship means we're asking different questions. We're not asking, is this right or wrong? That's moral judgment. And you can go there, but don't stop there. 
If we're looking through the lens of relationship, which I believe is the lens, it is the lens. Moral judgment to me is way down on the totem pole from relationship. We learn to ask ourselves, how did this serve me? How did this behavior serve me rather than saying, was this right or wrong? Again, if you want to make moral judgment about yourself, okay, just go further. Don't stop there. Keep asking questions like, how did this serve me? Why did I resort to this? When did this become a habit? Why? What need is this serving? Why did I choose this way of living, this way of relating, this way of being in relationship? Do you see, this is about gaining self-knowledge. If you want to slap yourself on the wrist and go, bad, you shouldn't have done. Okay, but don't stop there. Why did I do it? Okay, make a choice to grow in an area, any area of your life from a place of self-knowledge and self-compassion, not just a moral mandate to be good or do good. That is fear-based. Why? Because in the head, we think if I'm not good, then I'm bad, right? That's fear-based. It's shame-based. Growth, real growth is what we're seeing here in Anne-Marie. Okay, I do this thing. And for a while, I thought it was because I'm a bad person, but I'm not a bad person. I think it's because blah, blah, blah. And then we get into the real story. So let's talk a little bit about the shame we might feel around listening. Maybe we're not a good listener. Maybe we really struggle to listen. I know I have, and I'm a therapist. I listen all day, but it's a struggle sometimes. It's not always easy. So let's give ourselves the gift of offering ourselves our own attention, which is to say, listen to yourself and ask yourself why. Maybe we failed to develop the skill of listening because our lives are or were overscheduled. Maybe they're chaotic. Maybe there's too much going on. We can't turn down the noise in order to really listen. Because to listen, you have to stop what you're doing and focus on the sounds another person is making, meaning their words. Were we raised in an environment where many people were speaking at once and talking over one another? This could inhibit our ability to listen because we're used to noise. No one stopped right? No one just stopped and said, you know, Billy, your brother is speaking right now, and I don't want you to talk over him. We're listening to your brother right now. Your father is speaking, and you all need to pay attention and listen. Maybe we didn't see our parents really listen to one another. Maybe they talked over one another. Maybe they interrupted each other. We didn't see it. Maybe we were interrupted, or we were allowed to interrupt others. That was the case, both were the case in my family of origin. Maybe it became a habit. This also inhibits our ability to listen. Maybe we never felt heard. Feeling heard is a feeling in the body of relaxation. Because when we're trying to be heard, meaning we're speaking, there's a, there's a lot of energy going into that. And the brain is working and the mouth is working. There's a dynamic process going on inside where we're trying to move concepts into words, words into articulated language that somebody else can absorb. And once they hear us, it's like all of that goes, thank you. I can stop working so hard. Okay. Now the unhealthier the the relationship, the harder we have to work to be heard. That's a sign of a problem in a relationship where you have to really work hard to be heard. Okay. It shouldn't be that hard in a healthy relationship. Sometimes it is, but most of the time we should be able to just speak and be heard and we don't have to work up a sweat about it. But if we were raised in an an environment where we really didn't feel heard, 
no one was really listening. No one reflected back to us what we were trying to say. No one really heard us. This could really make it hard for us to listen because we didn't see it modeled. The story is, friends, if we struggle with it, there's a reason why. Now, you might be thinking, but Vanessa, what about ADD and ADHD? I'm not an expert on these disorders. I treat them sporadically, but I'm not an expert on them. But I will say this. It is extremely difficult to differentiate between these diagnoses and a lifetime of not truly learning how to focus and listen. Sometimes what we're talking about is neural pathways. And the best work I know that is being done right now on the subject of what we call neuroplasticity is being done by Norman Doidge. He wrote a book called The Brain That Changes Itself. And the whole idea is you have neural pathways that are grooved into your head. They're grooved into the brain. They're actually electrical um, reactions. They're chemical reactions and electrical signals that fire off in the brain faster than the speed of light, I would think. Maybe not quite that fast, but they're faster than you can slow down. Okay, they're faster than you're conscious of. And what do they come from? Well, neural pathways come from repeated behavior. Think about a path that you walk from your front door to your mailbox. And if you walked that same path 50 times every single day, it would be really well-worn, wouldn't it? The grass would be gone, the dirt would be exposed. And every time you walked it, it would get deeper and deeper. That's a neural pathway. It's just a well-worn path in the brain. So to learn anything different, this is why learning when you're younger is easier because those neural pathways are not grooved in. You could learn anything. When you get older, those neural pathways get grooved in. And what do we call people who are older and their neural pathways are grooved in? They're set in their ways. That's what that means. It means your neural pathways are grooved in. So when you're looking at ADHD, especially in ADD and young kids, we don't know yet if there is enough going on organically in the brain to warrant these diagnoses that then move us into places of medicalization and drug taking and all of this stuff. Again, I'm not an expert in this, and I'm not saying any of this is wrong. I'm just saying, has the child been worked with by someone who can help them reorganize those neural pathways so that they can listen, so that they can focus? There's an organization called the Aerosmith Institute. I think they're out of Georgia, maybe Atlanta. And they're doing incredible work right now Using the principle and the reality of neuroplasticity, they're reversing learning disorders, reading disorders by using the brain without necessarily having to use drugs. So again, what about ADD and ADHD? It's hard to differentiate between neural pathways that have been grooved in to foster the inability to focus and listen versus a real organic brain issue. Okay, these behaviors, again, associated with these diagnoses look a lot like the effects of trauma. There's a dissociative quality to all of those things, to trauma, ADD, and ADHD, meaning we kind of leave the moment and stop focusing. That's an outcome of trauma. How do we know if what we're looking at is a traumatic response or, again, an organic brain disease? We don't really know. For those of you listening to this podcast who are under the age of 30, you grew up in a culture where your attention span was captured for seconds at a time on the internet and social media. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what the average attention span is on social media, meaning the amount of time you spend per post? Per engagement is what they call it. Take a guess. A minute, 30 seconds. No, Vanessa, it's got to be faster than that. Maybe 15 seconds. You want to know what it is? This is according to a Nielsen report. It is two seconds. Ready? One, two. That's it. That is where the average attention span is going. 
So we ask ourselves, do you think this has impacted this generation's ability to focus and listen? I'm just going to let you ponder that. (laughs) Maybe you struggle with focus and retention when your brain has been trained since the time you could view a screen to take in information in second intervals. Again, do you think this has contributed to an astronomic rise in the diagnoses of cases of ADD and ADHD? I'm just going to let your common sense guide you there. Am I saying it's all that? No, I'm not. Doc Amen, Dr. Daniel Amen on Instagram is one of my favorite psychiatrists out there. He has a lot to say on ADD and ADHD, and he is one of the biggest proponents that this is overdiagnosed and that many times it is very, very workable from a behavioral perspective. So if we struggle with listening, maybe it's time to look at rewiring new neural pathways in. Start small. Listen for three seconds. Listen for five seconds. Listen for eight seconds. If that's too long, go back to five until you can manage five. Go to eight, go to 12, go to 15. We can learn to do this. The brain, the the concept of neuroplasticity is exactly what it sounds like. The brain is as bendable and malleable as a plastic. You can almost teach it to do anything. What's important here is that we ask ourselves, do I struggle with listening? And what is the problem? Is it external noise? Is it internal noise? Where did this originate from? And can I forgive myself for not being a great listener based on where I come from, how I grew up, and what my situation has been, what my environment has been? It's not an excuse. It's understanding. Okay, so that's the shame part, all right? Fear. Listen to her words. I've always been comfortable reading because that was listening under control. I could put a book down and pick it up when I wanted to, when I was safe. I could choose the words that came in. I knew they were okay for me. Growing up, listening was being stabbed or dying or being vaporized with others' words. My only shield was wise words or some kind of response to stop the onslaught. Listening had literally been threatening and has been difficult to do even now. Others' words were not a gift of thoughts or connection, but a demand or a threat. Friends, the root of the need to control, whenever we're in a controlling space in our personality, the root of that need to control is fear. So we're seeing a whole lot of self-knowledge here in Anne-Marie. She's really surveying her past. She's searching her heart. Why am I so afraid to listen? Well, maybe because the words coming at me were harming me. She's connecting the fears she feels internally due to what sounds like some really harsh communication bordering on the language that she's using here, bordering on verbal abuse, maybe. Okay, I don't know the situation, but this to me sounds abusive. She's connecting that with her need to feel in control of what she takes in. Doesn't that make sense? Of course it does. So for those of us who struggle with listening, let's ask ourselves some questions. Was I safe with what I listened to growing up? Was it safe for me? And what would be unsafe? Listening to the adults around you or even kids who wouldn't stop just fighting. Verbal abuse is unsafe. Name calling, screaming, insults, shaming language. Now this one's very important. Were you privy to, meaning did you hear a lot of lies? This was one of the most damaging parts of my childhood were the amount of lies that went on in my house. It was like constant lying. You couldn't trust anything. And that put in me a huge distrust as an adult to where sometimes when I'm listening, 
in interpersonal relationships, if I'm having trouble trusting what someone's saying, my brain is already working through what I think the real story is because I had to do that as a kid. I was constantly trying to figure out what the truth was as a kid. And that has not changed as an adult. But if you were subjected to lies as a kid, you might find it hard to listen and absorb what people are saying. And that would be totally understandable, wouldn't it? Maybe there was constant talking and no silence, just noise all the time. This drives up anxiety. When your anxiety is high, you can't listen. Maybe there were impossible demands and standards put on you. So listening equaled pressure. See how there's so many ways that listening became problematic? Because what we were hearing was unsafe. So ask yourself, is my body in a pattern of feeling unsafe now? When I'm in a space of needing to give my attention to someone else's sounds, when I'm asked to listen, do I internally brace for impact, freeze up, making it hard to listen? Listen to these words. Listening was being stabbed or dying or being vaporized with others' words. Can you hear the hurt? Listen to the pain here. There's high alert. This is hypervigilance. We have language here that she's using that is like lethal. It's mortal. It's existentially threatening. And sure enough, hurtful, harming words can feel like they're killing us. That's why it's called abuse. So what were her coping mechanisms when she was taking in, when she was listening to what was painful? She wrote, my only shield was wise words or some kind of response to stop the onslaught. First of all, I relate. Although my coping mechanism was mostly being goofy. Friends, our habits come from somewhere. Are you getting it? Because there's two things we're talking about here. Remember, there's listening and then there's the process of how she comes about this truth. And the process is so important. She's looking at where did this struggle originate? What a great question. So we see in her sort of a kind of forced wisdom. You know, this is a character style that presents itself as worthy of respect out of sheer fear. I have to sound good. I got to sound smart. I got to sound wise. I got to be above this somehow. And it's forced. Why? Because it wasn't safe to not do that. It wasn't safe to just be. It wasn't safe to like, I don't know. I'm just a person just figuring it out. And in these environments, we can't be goofy or sloppy or make mistakes at all. You better be poised and you better be on point or the sharks start to circle. Hear the fear in this. My only shield was wise words. That's forced. Wisdom isn't forced. But I have to present as wise so I don't get stabbed. Some kind of response to stop the onslaught. Some words that were somehow going to trump what was coming at me. Okay? So let's ask ourselves, how did we cope with harmful language as we were growing up? When was listening painful? When did it harm us? What did we do to protect ourselves? Anne-Marie wrote this, listening had literally been threatening and has been difficult to do even now. Others' words were not a gift of thoughts or connection, but a demand or threat. We're getting it, right? Her story makes sense. Now, you might meet somebody like this. You might think, wow, I don't think she heard a word I was saying. We walk away. She's not a good listener. We judge. We don't know the backstory. This is the why. To listen here was to be wounded, harmed, threatened. She went on high alert. She, the word she uses is my only shield. What do we use a shield for? 
Self-protection. How can you listen and be poised in self-protection at the same time? You can't. Listening is an opening. We're opening the mind or the heart and the heart to another person's words. And if we are really to listen, we're absorbing what they're saying. This is the great gift of listening is not just hearing the words, but absorbing the meaning. But there is a great danger of listening. And Anne-Marie wisely alerts us to the danger of listening, doesn't she? What if the words are doing harm? Do I still have to be a good listener? What is the answer? No. So I want to finish up by talking about boundaries. Okay. So she wrote this. Saying that out loud introduces the possibility of a shift. I love that. She's so hopeful. I would love to listen all the way to its beautiful finale. Now I can learn to experience listening as a beautiful gift and I can create my own safety if the words are not loving and connect with people whose words are safe and rich with nutrition. Wow. Again, I don't even have to say much about this. This email is in and of itself a lesson for all of us. It's beautiful. But friends, listening is about connection. And if someone's words are making that difficult or even impossible, you can choose at this point not to listen to that and not to listen to them. Now, as children, we were never given this option, okay? Can you imagine an adult saying to a child or saying to you as a child, you know, sweetie, if you don't like what you're hearing, you don't have to listen to your parents, (laughs) This is like mutiny. It's chaos. That would just be a disaster in the home. Why? Because the parent-child authority structure is essential to the health and the balance of the family. And we know that, right? Children need to listen to adults. They need to listen to their parents for safety and well-being. But what if those adults are using words to harm them? Then what? Because the structure that has to be in place also opens up a vast arena for verbal abuse to take place. Why? Because when parents speak, children are required to listen. When adults speak, children are required to listen most of the time. This means they're giving their attention to the sound of abuse. What do you think that does to a kid? Do you think they want to listen after that? Did we give our attention to the sound of abuse? Did we hear it? Did we absorb it? Did it become part of our ethos? If we did as children, we do not have to do this anymore as adults. We have choice, we have agency, we have a responsibility to protect ourselves and our loved ones from hurtful and harmful language. We can choose not to listen to that now. And that doesn't make you a bad listener or a bad person. It makes you wise. It means you're selective about the sounds, the voices you allow in your life. I don't love really, really harsh, angry, heavy metal. I don't like it. It makes me stressed out. I don't know if this is because I'm a therapist or what, but I I sort of grieve for the person who wrote these lyrics. I want to sit down with them and hug them. My gosh, like, what's wrong with you? You're so angry. What happened? Talk to me, right? The therapist in me just hears these lyrics and I'm like, okay, this is not an outlet for anger. I have perfectly normal, healthy ways of dealing with my anger. I just feel bad for the person screaming into the microphone. So most of the time, I don't like heavy metal. It's too angry and too aggressive for me. So I don't play it. Okay, I don't listen to it. I really don't like certain types of music that sexualize women. There's a lot of rap, a lot of R&B, and those aren't the only types, but a lot of, I love old R&B. I actually love old school rap. Love it. I grew up in the 90s, like love that whole era. 
But it got to a point where I was like, okay, I can't listen to the materialism, the misogyny. It just, it, it doesn't do anything for me. So I don't listen to it. I don't like a lot of modern country. I think it's hokey and silly. <laughs> yes, I'm in Nashville. I don't like it. I like old country. I like when it was about like heartbreak and cheating and, you know, gambling and whatever else. So those are just preferences. But what point am I making? I'm making the point that I don't listen to things that I don't enjoy. They don't do anything for me. I don't, I don't allow them into my sphere of listening, okay? You have that choice about the sources that you listen to, the people that you listen to. You certainly have that choice about the music you listen to. That's sound. What about voices? Same thing, okay? So what do we do when someone is using language we don't like? Well, we can say things like, I'm willing to listen to you, but not if you're going to use harsh words or a harsh tone. I can't listen under that condition because my mind is fighting too hard to block the tone and I can't hear the words you're saying. I'm willing to listen to you, but not when you're shouting at me. I can't listen to you and tune out the volume of your voice. If you can lower your voice, I can listen. I'm willing to hear what's on your mind, but I'm unwilling to hear or listen to insults or unkind language directed at me. So do you see how there's boundaries here? I can listen. I'm willing to listen. I am not willing to listen to hurtful or harmful things. I'm not. I'm not willing to sit down and listen to an entire album of Judas Priest. I'm not. For all of you listening, I know some of you who listen to this probably love Judas Priest. I, I won't do it. It's just not going to be how I spend my time. And I also do not listen to people who level accusations and insults at me without kindness. Same. No hard heavy metal. None of that either. Okay. What about if we're struggling with listening because we lost our focus and our minds were divided or distracted? Okay. We can say things like, I'm sorry, I got distracted there for a minute and I really want to hear what you're saying. Would you mind repeating yourself? That's very human. That's normal. We can say, you know, I'm really working on becoming a better listener and I think I just lost you. I just got distracted. Can you back up 30 seconds? Now, when we're really listening to someone, we might repeat back what they say to us. This is called reflexive listening. So what I'm hearing you say is, and then we repeat back and perhaps add on to it what we're understanding. Folks, I had to work on being a listener such that when I was really listening, I did this interpersonally because in therapy, I almost always take notes. But when I was having a conversation with someone, I would write down what they said just so I could follow along. And sometimes people were frustrated with me or they got suspicious about it. Why are you writing down what I'm saying? I said, because I, I have trouble listening. I can't focus. There's too much noise in my own head. I'm trying to come up with a response and I'm trying to come up with a counter argument and I don't want to do that. So I'm going to really focus on what you're saying by writing down what you're saying. And it really helped me. It really helped me. So there's ways that we can grow in this. We reflect back. What I'm hearing you say is blank. Do you feel heard? What a question. Do you feel heard? If the answer is yes, you've done your job. And if it's no, okay, well, what part doesn't feel heard? What part do I need to hear again? When your mind starts to drift, breathe, look into their eyes, and refocus. This is how we come back to listening. Listening is a skill. It has to be practice. It's something we develop over time. So if we've had issues and fears about listening, like Anne-Marie bravely shared in her email and in this suggested topic, we need to be patient with ourselves. We're wiring in new neural pathways, okay? We're grooving in a new path, and that takes time.
All right, let's pause there. A huge thank you to Anne-Marie for sharing her thoughts, her history, and a fantastic topic for the podcast this week. I appreciate it. I hope I did it justice. And I learned a lot from her, from her email, from her process, and from doing this episode. So I hope you did too. If you'd like to send a request, send it in. You can email me at thepodcast at vanessalandino.com. Couple thoughts. The first thing is this. Thank you for all of you who are leaving reviews, five-star reviews. I see them rising and it's just so encouraging. Thank you for that. Chapter two of the book that I just put out, The Toolbox, the chapter title is listening. So if you understand the concept of the book, it's the 12 tools we need to make relationships work. Trust me, they work. Friends, I don't know how to say this any better. They work. I am in therapy rooms and I am in my life. And when people in front of me and in my life employ these tools, our relationships work. The second tool is listening. There's a whole chapter on it. Light listening, deep listening, how to listen, how not to listen, when listening is hard, when it's easier, how to do it. So I encourage you, go ahead and get the book, read chapter two. It's available at every major retailer, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, you name it. If you've read the book, and I know a couple of you have, you've sent me emails, you've sent me messages on social media, thank you. I'm thrilled that you're reading it. I'm thrilled that you're getting so much out of it. Please leave a review on Amazon. Those reviews are crucial. So if you would do that, that would be amazing. And if you wanna book a workshop and they're gonna be booking up, they already are booking up, go to my website, vanessalandino.com, click on the contact page, and you'll see a box that you can check that says Toolbox Workshop. I'm doing them for church groups. I'm doing them for businesses. I'm doing them for schools, school administration. Whatever group you're a part of, you need the tools to communicate and to build the relationships. So if you want to do that, you can get in touch with me that way. My handle on Instagram is Vanessa the Therapist. Very simple. I changed it. You can follow me on Instagram. So let's recap. When Stephen Covey said, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. We get it, right? But now we know why. We have more self-understanding. We're not bad people if we're not great listeners. We probably were never taught or we've developed habits that are more about self-protection than connection. So maybe we're beginning to know why it's hard for us to listen. And I hope that we're becoming more patient as we develop this all-important life skill. Remember, friends, your sole work is to discover who you truly are and learn how to love that human being, whether or not you're a good or a bad listener. Anne-Marie taught us today that perhaps the first person we need to hear is ourselves. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Till next time, this podcast is recorded in Nashville, Tennessee and edited by Jared Bentley. I'm Vanessa Landino, and you just listened to the Vanessa Landino Podcast.